try to pick the food out of my mouth? Yeah, try and, well, I can see it in your teeth. It's no problem. As long as the audience can't see it. That's right. So, uh, good evening, good morning, good afternoon. I have no idea when people are listening to this, but uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Random Precision Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Marco, and today's guest is my dear friend reporting from Dusseldorf, Germany, Kevin. Hello. Hi, Marco. <laughs> How you doing? I am good, Marco. Things are great. You know, went to, uh, uh, took care of all the errands this morning. Dogs are happy. We are maintaining social distancing measures, very exacting as according to the Deutsches uh, the Deutsche government, and uh, everything is in ordinum. So are you pleased with how uh, Chancellor Merkel is doing this? Well, yeah, I mean, she's a physicist. So oh. she, she's, you know, like, here, if we uh, have 1.2 contacts per person, we will be overload our hospital system. So we will allow this, but if we see anything, we'll bring back changes. I mean, there, she's really precise about the whole thing. She's very, you know, Susie doesn't like her because she's kind of frumpy, but to be honest, she's uh, the most thoughtful leader in the Western world. Uh, but she could up her style game a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I asked Susie if she wanted to be chancellor, and she's just sticking with being chancellor around here. So uh, you were gracious enough to uh, indulge me and, and respond as being interested in doing this from, what, 5,000 miles away? Uh, roughly, something like that. Right. And, and uh, quite scared now that they're going to hear German Schunkel music. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also, uh, like John Paul before you, uh, opted to uh, go for the Desert Island Discs format, uh, courtesy of the BBC Radio 4, and uh, which is totally fine. Um, so let's uh, let's begin, shall we? Oh, I, I guess I guess I should recap in case uh, people are not listening to this in sequence. So the whole Desert Island Discs format idea is that uh, an individual will be uh, shipwrecked on an island and they will uh, be allowed or, or have access to eight different song titles, discs, and, uh, and hopefully there's some sort of relevance or significance as to why those songs are going on the island with them. Uh, and then a few more things at the end that we'll introduce at that point. So, Kevin, what is your first Desert Island disc? My first Desert Island pick is Whiter Shade of Pale with the, and I like, I have maybe 20 versions of this particular song, but my absolute all-time favorite is King Curtis's version, which is without vocal. It's some kind of um, godlike presence in that. And in fact, the first time I heard it, I, had, I didn't hear it when it came out. I heard it with, uh, it was on the opening of this movie with Nail and I. And at that time, you still could rent videos. And I had rented that movie from Blockbuster. So I kept the movie for an extra two weeks and continually just played the opening of the movie with that song every morning. Oh man, I I did not recall that that song appeared in that. Movie. I love with Noel and I. Uh, I came to it so late, but I had heard about its legend, and it did not disappoint. So um, I have to ask you this as a you know because I had a, a British friend and very famous scene in With Noel and I when uh, the boys lean out at the yell at the school girls and they go, "You scrubbers!" So do you know what that means? I have absolutely no clue. Okay, that is a British slang for slut. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so I, I, I know you would also call them slags. 
That's something else you can. Yeah, but this was the, my British friend, and we would go into bars, and he would go get mad at women, and he'd go, "You scrubber!" <laughs> I was like, "What? What is that?" But evidently, I can just assume it comes from the early, uh, you know, the nineteenth century, where they were like the cleaning girls were property, basically. And you know, the other thing that you might want to mention to your viewers, like your last friend pulling out. Uh, Pearl Jam, as you said, but your friend is approximately your age, and I happen to be a little bit older, so my musical taste is moved up about, not that I don't listen to new things, but my musical taste goes back further than most. Well, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back that I recognize, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll say six of the eight as being like really familiar, and then the other two, like, I'm more familiar with the name than I am with their output okay so king curtis's wider shade of pale uh when i first saw you um list the the song title i immediately just kind of like discounted the king curtis and thought oh it's going to be the procol harem you know traditional version and and i was going to start talking about uh that um segment from the movie new york stories the scorsese part where <laughs> play that song like a dozen times in 10 minutes it seems yeah i don't think i've actually i don't i don't know if i've seen that but Love every version of that particular song. Procol Harum was like, I mean, I've read a history about the song and they, um, uh, Gary Booker was screwing around paying some Bach piece and he kind of lost the uh, way it was supposed to be and was doing his own thing. And Gary Reed, who, or, who wrote the lyrics, was sending, sent those lyrics to him in the morning, that, that morning. So when he went to the post, that were the lyrics that he got. And he already had the music right there, so it came together. Mm. Uh, sort of like Whale John worked. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's move on to track number two. Okay, track number two is Tangled Up in Blue with, by Bob Dylan, of course, which oh. came out in 1974. Shining. I was laying in bed Wondering if she'd change it all If her hair was still red Her folks, they said our lives together Sure was gonna be rough They never did like mama's homemade dress Papa's banquet wasn't big enough And I was standing on the side of the road Rain falling on my shoes Heading out for the east coast Lord knows I paid some dues Getting through and I realized that from listening to your friend on this previous one, it's what you're bringing is your memories there, you know. So yeah. in 1974, I had just moved to California from the town that I grew up in, which was a population of 450, and had landed at Venice Beach. And uh, was there you 18 are. years old. And uh, uh, I immediately took up with this gypsy fire dancer girl who was seven years my senior. And uh, I was completely in over my head. And the so album came out, Blood on the Tracks, and this particular song, which Dylan describes as being the present, yesterday, and tomorrow, uh, all mixed up into one, hit me in exactly that kind of way. Like I. I was in this relationship and I saw myself out of it in the future. So, you know, all of the aspects of that song sort of collided exactly for me at that point. Yeah, Blood on the Tracks is absolutely one of the greatest albums ever put on wax. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, it, it built up that legend as, as being the, uh, the, like the definitive uh, breakup or divorce record and um and for for my generation i would say the equivalent and it comes close i think is uh beck's sea change another really sustained um meditation on just the dissolution of, of a relationship um for for me blood on the tracks it's, it's all about you're a big girl now yeah that's a killer song and uh and i was 
I was just counting down the days until the uh, the Bob Dylan bootleg series got to Blood on the Tracks, and it finally happened last year. And I do not mind having a single disc devoted to like seventeen alternate tracks or, or alternate recordings of or takes of of any one of those songs. And you actually get to hear how it develops and how in the studio Bob is is trying all sorts of different things and and uh, the musicians in the sessions are like totally present and and available to do their own thing and man it's alchemy dude um, yeah it's funny because well for instance too that uh, uh, Dylan played the album, played the songs for uh, Crosby Stills and Nash. Huh when he first did him, but he just did it with his acoustic guitar and Stephen Stills walked out and said, well, he's a great songwriter, but he ain't much of a musician. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love how cantankerous Stephen Stills is. I mean, you know, usually you, you, he ends up getting overshadowed by Neil Young's personality or even Crosby's um, shenanigans, but man, Stills is so wild. I love it. Well, you know, he tried out for the monkeys and he didn't make it because his teeth were too crooked. <laughs> wow. And, and secondly, Crosby, Stills and Nash auditioned for the Beatles as their first record label. They wanted to be with Apple Records and the Beatles gave a pass on them. So just saying. Wow. So not even not even Nash had any clout. Well, by that point, the Hollies had existed, right? Oh, yeah. The Hollies had long existed. The uh they had a very uh, blue blood pedigree with the Hollies, and um, they had been uh, Buffalo Springfield. Stephen Stills had been in Buffalo Springfield. And the bird. So they went and auditioned for the Beatles with, I don't know who listened, I'm pretty sure George Harrison and, uh, and George Martin, and they took a pass on them. And then they're like, okay, uh, let's go with Badfinger. Let's <laughs> let's 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 bring them into the fold. I think Badfinger is actually great, but the and and honestly, I was you know I think Crosby, Stills and Nash are good, but uh, at the time when they came out, I wasn't a fan. I mean, you know, they were good, but there was too many other better things that I was interested found more interesting than Crosby, Stills and Nash. Neil Young, of course, I liked, but and I don't dislike them, and I don't think they're talentless. But I didn't really, you know, I was in high school and everybody had that uh, that Crosby, Stills and Nash first album on the bus with them, sitting there reading the liner notes like they were gods, you know. Uh -huh. And I mean, I they were brilliant, but at the time I was that was just, I don't care for all these little harmonies, you know. Okay, and and one more question about the late '60s, early '70s supergroups. What what's your feelings about uh, Derek and the Dominoes? Well, Derek and Domino's was was great, but um, you know, Eric Clapton was you know one of my biggest. I, I adored him, but he should have st kept state taking drugs because as soon as he got off drugs, he sucked. You know, it's sort of a mystery to me in a way. Like Eric Clapton is bigger now than he was then, and he hasn't had a decent album since Layla. You know, to me, you know, I mean, like that 451 Ocean Boulevard, that was uh, weak. And then they just got weaker and weaker and he got bigger and bigger. Leon Russell, on the other hand, was filling stadiums. He couldn't get, can't get arrested any, before he died, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of an odd how, and like Elton John too. Elton John was brilliant. First eight albums were fantastic. And then he just sucked. Like it's like, how can you suck so much, <laughs> you know? But, you know, I mean, he's, and, but he's like, he's more money in than God now, you know? Ah, that's the cost of sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> they were better with the drugs. I mean, uh, and of course, you know, the, probably a lot of, to do with Derek and the Dominoes was Dwayne Allman who died immediately after their record, you know? Yeah. Crazy. All right, track number three. Okay, this one's just a esoteric, beautiful song. It lasts eight minutes, and on my desert island, you know, you got to get some mileage out of these. You only got eight songs. You don't want too many short ones, you know. Yeah. So, the Vion Rose with Grace Jones from the eighties. 
So I imagine there's a pretty strong electronic uh, production, right? Or she plays it straight. She has, she makes uh, Edith Piaf sound like a duck. <laughs> great voice in this song. It's got a really long sort of uh, rhythm opening and then it hits and when her voice comes out, you kind of just think she came from another planet. It's really great. It's not, it's not as electronic. All the other stuff she was doing at that time was like warm leatherette. No one was, but it's a pretty straight version, you know, in general. Right. Yeah, for me, I mean, as, as, as a child of the 80s, Grace Jones entered my consciousness uh, it, thanks to two things. Uh, her appearance in the Conan movie. <laughs> and of course, as one of the uh, Bond femmes. Uh, so... She okay. was she was a pretty twisted girl, and she she had she was a big fashion model with Jerry yeah. Hall, friends with him, all hung around in Paris, and she had this. Uh, the graphics were all done by her then boyfriend for those eras. You know, they, the guy would take like scotch tape and glue photographs together, and he was a pretty brilliant guy. Her next boyfriend was Dolph Lundgren. Yes. <laughs> and I saw her make an appearance with Dolph Lundgren and uh, when the first time he's ever on television. And so Grace Jones comes on and she's talking about her new boyfriend. Oh, he's in the audience. And she brings him out. And out comes this giant man, you know. And who knows, Dolph Lundgren was a twin. Did you know this? No. Or that he's like a, a college graduate. Like he majored in like the sciences. So he's like a really smart dude. Yeah, and so he came out, and he has a twin brother, and Grace admits that she was very upset that the twin brother, like, somebody else could have what she had, so she had the twin brother, too, <laughs> which she states on the Johnny Carson show or the Merv Griffin show, whichever it was. And you were like, oh, Grace, do you think that's too much information? Oh, man, that's brilliant. Uh, good for her. Your next item, number four. Number four, okay, same thing, instrumental, Samba Pati with Carlos Santana. I think that at some point during that song, God touches him. And uh, Ooh, I'm, I'm going to have fun trying to find the uh, snippet and, and see if I can catch that moment. So don't tell me, don't clue me in on it. Shade of Pale, I think King Curtis also hits that kind of like transcendent moment, you know, that where he becomes one with his instrument and just is lost in the place. Personally, I think Ben Webster reaches it in every single recording he ever did. Ben Webster? Yeah. And it was actually at your place where I discovered Soulville. Um, but man, I, I, I waited to really dive into uh, the Ben Webster stuff. And oh boy. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's a, um, another guy that has a sort of uh, Mark Almond 
was the name of the band. They were sort of a splinter group from the John Mayall group of the 60s, which was also Fleetwood Mac was a splinter group of that. And Eric Clapton came out of there, Peter Green, uh, Jimmy Page. But anyway, um, they the guy, the, all, the saxophone player in a cut called The City, uh, he hits a saxophone place like that. And you're like, okay, uh, God has touched this man. So what's your feeling on Santana's output? Uh, I mean, during the first like five, six years of, of his career, I, like, did, did, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why it's so difficult for me to to come around on him. And I, so many people who love music just say that this guy, what he was doing with the guitar, is you know, it's not to be ignored. No, and it isn't. But basically, the 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 band Santana. With the, I mean, even the first album, I'm not that nuts about, but except for that one cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, his guitar playing is so incredible. If you really want to get into Carlos Santana's, get an album called "The Healer" by John Lee Hooker, or that other Supernatural album that he appears on, which was put together by um, Clive Davis where he has different artists and Carlos just plays guitar. So it's got um, uh, 10 or 12 different artists playing with Santana. Oh, that's easily one of the greatest like comeback records ever. I mean, as, as an all-star album. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that put him back into relevance, like no one's business. And, and I'm sure Clive Davis must've been the architect of that, but I was just, I think finishing up high school. So it was, it was it was impossible to escape like every single song that was coming out of that uh album was getting airplay and um well the thing too is with Santana is that really you just have to sort of acknowledge that he's a great guitar player but he's not a writing songs he's not a singer mm-hmm. so uh, i think he'd be better served just doing that kind of thing if he was like appearing on people's records and and I just heard one on on uh, YouTube today of him doing "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" with a, a woman, black woman singer I didn't recognize. But I mean, he just tore that song up. He's so amazing. He's such yeah. a great guitar player, but and he has such a distinctive sound. And you see him do stuff; it's just ridiculous. He takes his finger across the neck, starts going like this, and it's. Brilliant. He's not even moving it. He's just sliding his finger and strumming. And you go, how can that be so good? You know, it doesn't look like he's doing anything. You know, yeah, I, I, I think I'm setting myself up because I have talked so much smap, smack or, or just been so ambivalent about his overall career that I'm going to come around. I, that's usually how it goes. I, I'm really negative on something and then I see the light. And so it'll be funny if I end up being this like super, super, super. Uh, so you can't know the song up. Referring to right, Samba Pati. Not, not off the top of my head. I mean, mostly just the. Uh, I, I think that was the thing. He's he's a he's a perfect example of the uh, classic rock radio casualty where they only settle on the two or three main songs, and and I'm over it. You know, I, Guns and Roses. There's so much stuff on 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 their um, catalog that I I love, but I'm gonna be forever stuck listening to Sweet Child O' Mine, Paradise City. Uh, I mean, those are the two that drive me bananas and um, don't even get me started on stuff like Led Zeppelin or, you know, I mean, these are great bands, but they only, or even Pink Floyd, you know how much they mean to me, but you're only going to hear three songs of theirs. And it's like, that's not even the best that they have to offer. Yeah. I mean, like the, 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 the album Money, I always never really liked that song that was the hit, Money, the mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Moon. Everything else on that album is fantastic, but the song Money, that was the number one for him, which actually threw them into the limelight, and actually was really interesting from them, too, because I had all their records previous to that, and you just bought them because you were cool if you had them, because they weren't good. They were like Omagama and uh, the one with the cows and the Adam Hart mother and uh, metal. But, you know, they weren't good. And all of a sudden, Jesus, they just transformed. And, you know, their their next group of albums were just brilliant. 
Well, my my favorite of the uh, pre dark side is, and it's amazing how many people don't really talk about it. But it's, uh, I think it was right before uh, dark side. In fact, no, no, metal was right before. Um, it was uh, the obscured by clouds soundtrack. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that one. Oh, it's incredible. Um, I, I recommend it right right now. Like, stop for 40, 40 minutes and and check it out. Uh, it's got a nice balance of uh, instrumental pieces, beautiful David Gilmore guitar work, uh, and and then probably like, top five Floyd songs for me is this one called Childhood's End. Man, yeah, I don't even know that one. And you know, I mean, I just had sort of gotten like right about that time. I was like. I'm not buying any more of this. I don't listen to this stuff. I put it on and it's like, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. even though, you know, I'm only 16 or 15 and I'm like, you know, it should be cool. I Everyone likes Pink Floyd, but, you know, except, you know, I was like, no, don't like it. <laughs> but Samba Pati, you have to listen to. And that one he actually wrote. It's one of those, you know, guitar things. It's a little bit dated sounding because of the organ, but, um, you know, still magic piece of music. Well, for me, that's, that's the most gratifying part of doing this is not only do I get to talk to, you know, people I, I love, but uh, I, I get to invest uh, in these songs. I, I get to really sit with them and, and explore them. And, and then also the part of like selecting the, uh, the snippet. And then number six, listen to the lion by Van Morrison. That's number five, buddy. Because remember, we took one out. Okay, so that's number five. Track number five, listen to the lion. Oh my love, come tumbling. Which is just, a, you know, of course, Van Morrison, he's, I think his voice is really a trumpet. It's not really a voice. <laughs> but, you know, like, because, I mean, and then of course, the lyrics make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Because he keeps on saying, listen to the lion inside of me. But what does that mean exactly? You know, like, no one's ever asked him. And if they did, he gave some surly answer that no one <laughs> could get. Un- unintelligible, you know. I have like, to, I'm sorry. He's the worst interview ever of any musician, you know. I have to tread carefully with Van Morrison because uh, I have a long and storied, uh, I don't want to say disdain, because uh, the stuff he did with them and uh, just his early stuff, you know, um, I, I, I've, I've definitely... Actually, no, let me back up. I haven't given him his due. I've listened to enough to already kind of feel that he doesn't really work for me. Um, but, you know, I'll remember the first time I heard uh, Astral Weeks. You know, I was waiting, like, because that's one of those albums that everyone's like, oh, this is one of the landmark albums. And, and, uh, and I remember 40 minutes later just feeling like, okay, yeah. Um, but, but like I, when I, when I, when I say that the reason why I could never discount him completely is because of the stuff he did with them. It's like, you, you single out those songs. It's like, there's a swagger there, 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 there's this, uh, vivacity that, you know, a lot of people who have followed him all the way through will be like, dude, it's never left. It's it's always been there. And so when you say that his voice is basically a trumpet, I say, yeah, that makes sense that his, his voice is an instrument that adds to the, 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 you know, the alchemy that he's, he's doing elsewhere with all the other. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You have, um, 
I, Van Morris is one of my favorites, and and sort of you know at the same time too. I've been around. I remember like people playing. I was in high school, and they were beating you know Gloria and singing it in the cafeteria, beating it on the on the table. G N O R A Gloria, and then uh, and of course, um, and I kind of like listened to the lioness on um, Saint Dominic's preview, which was kind of a I wasn't even really, you know, buying it to get a Van Morrison album, and I, uh, I think I got it from the Columbia Record Club, you know, when you could get twelve for free. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I put, I bought it as a CD or uh, cassette, and was in my car, and I was like, oh my god, what is this? So Van Morrison has got, he's probably got a more consistent and longer history of good material than Bob Dylan. Wow. Like, you could pull off more consistent, great albums out of Van Morrison than Dylan. I mean, when Dylan had uh, comes out with uh, Blood on the Tracks, he had three shitty records, you know, before that. I mean, they're not shitty, but like Self Portrait, uh, The Other Side of Bob Dylan. Oh, and, that's, oh, that's way earlier. That's like 65. No, but he, but he was Self Portrait and Planet Waves. Planet Waves I actually like now, but then uh, Self-Portrait was just junk, you know? And he hadn't really done anything since, and uh, he was, he was since, that was really magnificent since uh, Blonde on Blonde. Mm. Even though I like Nashville Skyline a lot, but he was sort of just playing around and it wasn't until Blood on the Tracks he really started bleeding back into his vinyl. Yeah, and, and, then, and then he follows that up with Desire, right? Which is a good record, but it's not as consistently good as uh, the Blood on the Tracks record. No, did you did you catch um, the the Rolling Thunder documentary that Scorsese did this past year? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like a little put off by how weird everybody was. You know, oh, I loved it. I loved was like, and the poets were like moving the luggage around for everyone. I was like, oh, that's kind of sad, you know. Oh. You know, uh, and. Shit, you know what I've what I've noticed, and and I and I can't I can't wait to to hear this uh, on its own. Is that <laughs> this shows my my bona fides as a host is absolute trash. That we've been spending the majority of this conversation talking about other artists and other albums <laughs> uh, as segues from the actual titles. So well, I think actually that's your. I mean, I I don't know how this is going to play or if anybody's going to hear it, but to be honest. This is why we talk, you know what I mean? Because the two of us are music freaks from way back. I mean, yeah. we have this in common. We're 30 years apart, if not, right? Something like that? In ages? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Hey. Well, it's, it's just that it, it's it's almost night and day that the, the, the last episode, there was this, like, arc. And, and I definitely did not try to step on um, my buddy's toes, let him talk. And my commentary was actually almost at a minimum, but I'm interjecting with all sorts of these random tangents today. And so thank you for keeping up. But <laughs> uh, that, I, is, that is exactly the, to me, that's the joy that when we have a conversation, you know, it's one of the reasons we're friends because the two of us can't keep up, you know, I mean, we usually leave like our wives in the dust. Oh, they're talking about music. We better go. <laughs> <laughs> all right ah there okay. i go again okay no don't and, and moving on to moving on <laughs> to track number six track number six is gentle on my mind though i have i love aretha Ver franklin's version i love johnny cash's version i'm gonna just stick with glenn campbell's for, you know it's consistently brilliant and can't lose with it It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on their columns now that bind me. Or something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking. It's just knowing that the world will not be cursing or forgiving when I walk along some railroad track and find. 
that you're moving on the back roads by the rivers of my memory and for hours you're just gentle on my mind though the wheat fields and the clotheslines i was about to make the mistake of saying well this is another one of those jimmy webb classics but he did not write that song he wrote most of the other classics of glens at, at that time but gentle on my mind um uh, the name escapes me, but John Hammond wrote it. Boom. Okay, there it is. And, and uh, his... the thing is, here's the story of how John Hammond wrote that. He had just watched Doctor Zhivago, the movie. Okay. And then he wrote it in one sitting in about thirty minutes. Mm. Now I don't know, but I assume that he wants to leave his sleeping bag behind Julie Christie's couch. <laughs> just guessing. You know, <laughs> ah, Julie Christie. Yeah, see, you know, and that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to the song, but that's what he got out of it, you know. <laughs> oh no! So, Glenn Campbell, uh, what was he as big as it seems now in retrospect? I mean. It took a while for it to come out, like how instrumental he was to the Wrecking Crew, so how many tracks that he played on as a session player. Uh, but once his career took off, uh, it's... Dude, the, the number of hits that he has, it, it's, it's madness. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it was funny. Like, I love this song. And it's kind of become one of my favorites over the years, more than it was at the time it came out. At the time it came out, I was a kid, you know, in 1967. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn Campbell was a little bit too straight for my general thing. He was, and you know, we saw him in True Grit. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> it was, he was, you know, he, he was great for that, but he was exactly what, it seemed like that was him, you know. <laughs> Delight Arkansas, couldn't read music, and was in the Wrecking Crew, and was a great guitar player. But uh, you know, uh, I always liked him in the you know his music, but him I was never too attracted to. Okay, uh, I I would heavily recommend checking out that uh, the documentary that came out uh, when he got the diagnosis. Oh no no no! I've seen that. And I recommend to all our viewers out there, all five of you, is don't watch that. That thing is so depressing when he got all, when he, the more he disintegrated into his Alzheimer's, it was just, I couldn't take it. It was so sad. Uh, that might have been the saddest thing I've ever seen on any movie. Wow. So after he passed away, um, I, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how it happened, but I stumbled upon this... Um, this link to uh, the uh, the performance space at Pepperdine. They had just done some sort of uh, million dollar renovation, and um, and they were announcing this new season. And two names uh, popped out, and it, it was like perfectly uh, synchronized with just kind of like where I was musically. Uh, it was Jimmy Webb and uh, J.D. Souther. Hmm. And um, and I think it was it, it was that it was that uh, serendipity of I had just watched the uh, the history of the Eagles, so it like I, I mean I, I was I, I okay let me let me let me once again throw my credibility out there but uh, I love the Eagles I don't there's nothing anyone can say to take that away from me but uh, the story goes off on these nice little detours talking about how J D Souther was, was you know. Um, in, in the background, and then of course the association with Linda Ronstadt, and then of course those two were in a relationship. So, anyways, so I, I was going down the rabbit hole of Jimmy Webb, and and then I had already been into uh, Glenn Campbell at that point. But anyways, so the Jimmy Webb night uh, was um, co-headlined with Glenn's daughter, the daughter that features in the movie, mm -hmm. and. Oh man, the throughout the night they're like they're trying to keep it light, you know, they're not trying to just bum everybody out. So they're telling stories and kind of just celebrating the the personality uh and talent that Glenn had. And uh and you know, I mean like like I said, you know, so many of the 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 just the big blockbuster success songs that that Glenn had was written by by Jimmy. Mm -hmm. 
and uh ah oh, dude it, it was I, I brought leslie and and we were both just like wow that was a special night i think i'm afraid that i'm a little bit at a loss who jimmy sutter is jd sutter uh he was um let's see he he, he did an album um with uh, glenn fry they, they did an album together um and then there was a, a, a another folk supergroup called Souther Hillman and Furry Fury. Oh yeah, Mickey Furry from um, Buffalo Springfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's the the three of them. And uh, and so yeah, JD Souther he uh, he did that one song that the Eagles uh, made popular, "New Kid in Town." Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the other big hit of his? I don't know what the other one is, but yeah, no, he, he's he's good stuff. Um, so I have a off the topic question: Is uh, the bass player who wrote "I Can't Tell You Why" is he? Because he, I saw the Eagles are reforming. Poco. So he, yeah, he was with Poco, but what was his name? I I actually thought his name was uh, Schmidt. Timothy Schmidt. Timothy Schmidt, yeah. Um, okay. I I always thought it was uh, what was his name? Yeah, I, I always confused it with one other name, and I can't remember. Okay, Timothy Schmidt. Is he alive still? Yes. Okay, so he's not going to get back in the new version of the um, Eagles that are doing some new reunion tour. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I think everybody except for the uh, the original guitarist, uh, what Ber Bernie Ledin. Yeah, so it's Joe Walsh. I saw yeah. Joe. Walsh. I just yeah. didn't recognize him. I saw a picture, and I met him one time back in the day. They the hit "I Can't Tell You Why" was still playing on the radio, and I photographed his girlfriend, and then she introduced me to him, and they brought me over, and they wanted to talk to me about photographing them while they were recording their new album, the money that Warner Brothers had given him, and he wanted me to do it. And I was like, cool, I'd be happy to. What are you going to pay me? No, no, we want you to do it for free. And I went, oh, no, I can't afford to do that. You know, like, honestly, I have rent to pay. There's no way I'm going to, like, photograph, follow Jimmy Timothy Schmidt around his house in the recording studio and print and back then you printed and developed your own pictures you bought the film it wasn't like now with digital it's all just a memory card it cost 20 bucks a roll to process it all so i was like no 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 i'm not doing that for free wow yeah but he had a big house up in malibu he was a good looking yeah. guy with really long hair after glenn died uh, they um, they brought in his son actually to do. Uh, he's also doing guitar, but the the the, the big announcement was uh, they brought in uh, what's his face? Um, shoot, I, I don't know why I want to say Dwight Yoakam, but it's not Dwight Yoakam. It's the other uh, country star. Um, now he wears glasses, has a little bit of a pudgy face, but he uh, ah, what's his name? Oh man. Okay. Well, it escaped me. But they they brought in this uh this country superstar to to fill in for Glenn. And on you know on the page it sounds like what who why why would he fit? But I, I I'd imagine he'd totally totally fill in. Um, oh well. Yeah. Funny. And uh, Joe Walsh, funny guy. Life's been good. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him with the James game. Oh, wow. You know, I, I was like, I made myself a mixtape mix of something, you know, and like hadn't heard and all these hard rock songs with one from the James Gang, uh, Walk Away, uh, 18 with Alice Cooper, uh, 30 Days in a Hole with uh, Humble Pie. And uh, I was playing it in my car with the top down and I hadn't played any of this music for like 
30 years and I started thumping down the street and I suddenly like my, you know, how synopsis of memory is kicking in. I could smell marijuana burning. There was none around. I'm just in the street. And because I'm playing all this hard rock music, suddenly I just smell marijuana Mm -hmm. came with it. Yeah. So I looked it up. Uh, Vince Gill is the guy who, uh, Oh, yeah, okay. I just saw him on uh, Jay Leno's Garage last night. Mm. So. Oh, man. Okay, moving on. Moving on is track number seven. Number seven is Sunny Side Up by Paolo Nutini. Not quite. The song is called Coming Up Easy by Paolo Nutini. Uh, the album in which the song appears is Sunny Side Up. Oopsie! All my best friend, my partner in crime. I'm afraid it looks like we're gonna have to go our separate ways. You see, the thing is, I love you. I love you, but you see, I resent you all the same. And all my other friends here just saying you're slowing me down. Oh, but I should have known you turned to me and say, before you throw too much of me away. This is definitely the one artist that I have practically nothing uh, come to mind. So tell me a little bit. You could easily overlook him because he had a couple hits that were cute of no consequence. And his first record was, I think the song was literally New Shoes. And (laughs) it was catchy, but, you know, honestly, I got new shoes, you know, like, that's it. Really dumb lyric and so on. And then his next record is... uh, uh, sunny Side Up, and uh, he just absolutely uh, writes six or seven of the greatest pieces of the 2000s, you know, on that one record. Next record, nothing. And I understand from people that are fans of his, is kind of a drunk. He has a really killer voice of the kind of quality that really could be like world-class songwriting material isn't so great and if he does a cover of somebody's thing it's always incredible you know he's got that like a really interesting unusual voice and that song you know you're bringing to an island is memories right so that was the song we were playing in my car when susan and i my now wife got together we were driving in my BMW convertible down the highway on the Pacific Coast Highway going between Portland and Seattle, no, north of Seattle on the way to Vancouver and winding through the roads and this music is playing and Susan is by my side. You know, yeah, that's never to be topped. Yeah, I can, I, I can picture that and that does so it may not be like, I mean, it actually is a great song, no question, but Probably the reason it's on my list is because of that. Yeah. Sweet. All right. So that is the most contemporary piece uh, in your selection. And so it's nice to be able to sort of read that with Susie. The Uber Fraulein. The Uber Fraulein. Yeah. The, the Schönste Frauen der Welt. First thing I learned in German means the most beautiful woman in the world. But, you know, telling your wife that's always good. Uh. I, I don't do it enough, so I'll take your cue. Yeah, be nice to your woman. It's really gives lots of payoffs. And w- here's the real trick: when they do something nice for you, thank them and notice they like it. <laughs> Clue from the older one in the family. <laughs> well, I, I just do it in my own way. Uh, like, for example, this morning, you know, w- w- without provocation, I, I was making breakfast, and so that's why we had to delay our recording today. Yeah, no, no, I understand, you know. You're talking to a man who is ruled by his affection for his woman. Mm. Yeah. And number eight, last but not least, 
Winter Lady by Leonard Cohen. She used to wear her hair like you, except when she was sleeping. And then she'd weave it on a loom of smoke and gold and which, of course, is featured in the movie uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. But uh, just always kind of moved me. I found out from seeing an interview with Leonard Cohen later that the, the song was not written about anybody. He was in a bar, and the woman was, uh, he just thought, oh, that's a beautiful woman, and she left. Mm -hmm. He never talked to her. And he sat down and wrote that song about a woman he never met, which I liked as an idea in general. She probably would have ruined it by talking. <laughs> uh, Leonard Cohen is one of my absolute favorite artists. Uh, the, the fact that his career had so many different uh, stages, that he was so literary. I mean, that was his introduction. Music came later. Uh, the, the mythology behind him uh, is, Again, I, for for me to to be able to say with the utmost humility that I had the uh, the opportunity to see him in concert, um, and that somebody of that age was able to perform, and I'm not joking, for three and a half hours, uh, three encores, and with a smile on his face, because it was like he was doing a victory lap. Uh, you, you only found out later that the reason why he did that tour is because his management had totally scammed him and stolen basically his retirement from his royalties. So he had to go back out on the road almost reluctantly to, to be able to have some sort of, uh, you know, financial means to sustain himself. And he did it like an absolute gentleman. Interesting thing about Leonard, from when I was like living in Los Angeles in the, say, mid-80s was that, you know, he had this big reputation as being a ladies' man. And, of course, I was moving through these circles. That was not a big deal. But, you know, I was a working photographer. I shot music for different people. I met sort of semi-celebrities and whatnot. I met three different women who told me that Suzanne was written about them. <laughs> and he says he wasn't a ladies' man, really. Mm. So... And I, I don't even know if they, you know, but if, if he even met them, really, you know, but they all like, I was like, why is it you're the, I mean, you know, just going through my head, like, you're the third woman that's told me that this song Suzanne was written about you. Okay. You know, way to go, Leonard. <laughs> you should have responded and said, you know, I don't know about the Susan thing, but, but you definitely could have uh, been uh, the inspiration for the famous blue raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they were all like, you know, 10 years older than me and, you know, sort of moving towards their sunset of, uh, in their beauty, you know. So I was always, hmm, you know, I wonder how much truth is into this story. But <laughs> Well, I, I, I think the fact that he shows up at, at the uh, as the last track. Um, I, I will I will end on this note that there is a, a, doc, a documentary that just came out in the past year that uh, explores the relationship of his real muse. I mean, who knows if she inspired uh, Suzanne, but uh, Marianne, it was his girlfriend. And so, of course, there's that song, So Long, Marianne. Um, and so I'm finally going to get to discover uh, that part of his life as he was transitioning from a poet to uh to a singer songwriter yeah. and um okay so th now uh okay so for those that don't know uh with the desert island disc so you have your eight tracks uh but you also have a a book that you're able to bring with you uh because you are allowed to have or it's provided a copy of the king james bible and uh the complete works of shakespeare now you can make of that what you will but <laughs> 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 yeah, I have to also comment on this desert island theme. Like, 
somehow or another, I've got a music device that's going to play only eight songs. Like, what device is this? It really works up against my imagination. Like, not a record player, because they all come on vinyl, and there's 12 on each one, you know. Not a CD player, because same thing, you know. Maybe I guess I get them oh, one CD burned, a burned CD, you know. Mm -hmm. But I've got electricity, and I can play this. <laughs> well, uh, considering I actually I've been I've been listening to a lot of the archive episodes, and so there's some from the late '70s where the original host who had done it for 40 years. So this goes back to the, uh, the '40s, and uh, so back then you had a wind-up gramophone, and that's why they were called discs, right? Because of the vinyl. So. Uh -huh. You just got to assume that they're one-sided records and you crank it up and you got it. Yeah, one time. Out comes, you know, tangled up in blue. Early one morning, the sun was shining. <laughs> I was laying in bed. So in addition to those two titles, what would be your book pick? My book pick would be Narcissus and, Narcissus and Goldman by Herman Hess which I, I've read two times, I'm pretty sure, maybe three, but I haven't read it in 30 years. So I, I, if I was picked with one book, it would be that one, which is, he was sort of a existentialist. And so the book is basically about two characters, one's a priest, one's an artist. And it's about the dynamics of the two kinds of personalities, the artist and the rational the male and the female side sexual versus non-sexual aspect of man oh. basically set in middle ages during the plague ah see so good things come out of pestilence i mean just imagine all the incredible artwork that's going to come out of this pandemic <laughs> yeah not from me though i'm afraid because you know, it's coming up and you're yeah. allowed a luxury item uh okay. something that Something that cannot assist you in getting off the island. Well, I'm afraid that the one thing I'm going to take, and it may sound a little strange, but is my horse, Gandalf. All right. We would live like the Black Stallion, assuming that there's grass and fresh water, and he's never going to get sick or hurt there. I'm okay with this, but... You know, and I have to build myself a treehouse so that fucker would leave me alone at night. But, <laughs> but, uh, but it would be Gandalf, my horse. Sure, he would be pleased to know that he would be considered for inclusion. He's a luxury item. Yeah, know. absolutely. I mean, I hope I get a saddle and a bridle to go with him because he's a little bit. If he would take advantage if I didn't have such a thing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he's not. He's not all sweetness and light, you know. Uh, I, I I wish I could get like uh, weekly uh, dispatches of your attempts at braiding his hair. <laughs> you know, you're. It's funny because I actually it came undone, and Susie's been was sick, and I had to take care of it, and so I actually managed to braid it so, somewhat. It didn't look very good, but it was in fact braided. Oh well, I'm sure his self-esteem took a a little bit of a tumble that day, but you know, you know he doesn't have self. His he has only one switch on his self-esteem. I am the king. I am the king. That is all. That is his only switch on his self-esteem is that I am the king. There is no <laughs> there's no lower form in which he views himself. All right, so there, there, there's a nice little bit of symmetry that we started with the king, King Curtis, and we end with the king, Gandalf. Cool. Uh, and so if you could only select or, or save one of these eight tracks from the waves, uh, which would it be? I'd have to be Winter, Whiter Shade of Pale by King Curtis. All right. That's the one that's being saved. That's and the you, one. You're going to have to hear it, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> Off to the film where I go. Yeah, yeah. I'll be interested to hear your uh, your uh, your thoughts on it now, and especially your thoughts on Van Morrison. Let's listen to the lion. I, I'm telling you. So 
it, it, it's coming. Uh, the reckoning is coming. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing a big 180 on Santana, uh, Van Morrison. Stay tuned. Okay. So here's my recommendation. Two records from Van Morrison. You have to top two. Yeah. Inarticulate speech of the heart. Okay. No teacher, no guru, no method. I have never heard of either one of those. Yeah. So start there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sweet. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. And that will basically do it. So, Kevin, you're the best. I love you. Thank love you. you too, Marco. And I'm going to go and uh, cuddle with my wife. All right. I, I think I'll do the same. Very good. I recommend <laughs> this. <laughs> Bye. All right, brother. Bye. Traveling lady, stay a while till the night is over. I'm just a station on your way. I know I'm not your lover.